This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. The chief and highest end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The whole reason that you and I are taking up space is to glorify and honor God. God created us for His glory. And the responsibility that you and I have is to make sure that our life, our mission, our ministry is glorifying and honoring Him. And in that way, our lives are then literally placed on that hall of fame rather than the hall of shame. Pastor David will be finishing his teaching through the book of Romans. The main question Pastor David is asking you is this. If your name had to be written on one of two walls... Would it be written on the wall of fame or the wall of shame? The Apostle Paul is giving an account of believers that were faithful in glorifying God. When you appear before God, will you be commended or will you feel shame? You have time to change your life around and live for the glory of God and not yourself. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans chapter 16 verse 1 with part 1 of our message entitled, Wall of Fame, Wall of Shame. Will your life, your mission, and your ministry be listed on the wall of fame or the wall of shame? Now, you might think, well, that's kind of a harsh uh, question to ask, Pastor. Well, I don't mean it to be harsh, but I do mean for it to cause you to pause and consider your life and the impact of your life to those that are around you, the impact of your life for the cause of Christ, both in your community, in your neighborhood, in your families, in your workplace, wherever it might be. Will your life be on the wall of fame or the wall of shame? Now, you might say, well, Pastor, I I don't have a mission or ministry. Let me encourage you. If you have a life, you have a mission and a ministry, particularly if you have a life in Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a mission, you have a ministry. If you don't know what that is, then you need to be praying, saying, Lord, what do you, would you have me to do? What is my mission? What is my ministry? The Westminster Larger Catechism is a listing of questions and answers that many churches use to instruct not only their children but young converts to Christianity. It's primarily used in more of the Reformed uh, Direction churches, but it is a great listing of uh, intense questions and teachings again uh, about biblical truth and how it impacts our lives. The very first question of the Westminster Catechism I love. It simply states this, what is the chief and highest end of man? In other words, why are you taking up space? Why are you sucking in air? Why did God put you here? What is the reason that God has determined to create you and allow you to be born? Have you ever paused to consider that in your life? The answer to that question from the Westminster Catechism, I believe, is a powerful one. It says that the chief and highest end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The whole reason that you and I are taking up space is to glorify and honor God. God created us for His glory. And the responsibility that you and I have is to make sure that our life, our mission, our ministry is glorifying and honoring Him. And in that way, our lives are then literally placed on that hall of fame rather than the hall of shame. 
As we get close to celebrating the birth of our nation, next week is 4th of July weekend, I want to bring your memory banks back to those early days. At the birth of our nation, there were men and women who sacrificed of their time, of their treasure, and of their talents because there was a cause that they believed in so much. Many of them sacrificed their health, their welfare, both financial as well as physical, their future plans, and in some cases, even their lives, because they believed so deeply in what they were standing for. At the signing of the Declaration of Independence, there were 56 men that were gathered together from differing backgrounds, differing vocations, differing financial abilities, and they all came together for one decided purpose. Some of them were lawyers, some of them were farmers, some were rich merchants, and others were ministers or leaders in their community. One of them was the richest man in all of the 13 colonies. One of them, the youngest one, was 27 years old. They had differing ideas of how this was all going to be completed, and yet they had a single purpose. And now their names have been forever placed on that Declaration of Independence showing their dependence upon God, their final union together, both in thought and purpose, and their unwavering willingness to stand up for what they believed in that was so vitally important to them, to their families, and to our nation. Some of these names you might be familiar with. Some of even their signatures you might be familiar with. If I was in charge of the school systems, every child, by the time they're in sixth grade, would know every 56 of these men, not only their background, but also what it costs them to put their name on this document. Because these men, their families, paid dearly because they believed so much in what they were doing, because they felt that God was leading them to again begin this nation. But I want to fast forward you now to about oh, 40 or 50 years ago, the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War was a war that was fought from 1964 to 1975, some of you in this room were a part of that war. You took place in it. Some of you know those who lost their lives or were injured during that war. The war that took place primarily over South Vietnam, but also into Cambodia and Laos with airstrikes on North Vietnam. In and during that war, there were 2.59 million American soldiers that were involved in that war. And of those 2.59 million, 58,260 of them lost their lives in that war, with over 304,000 being injured. The average age of those killed in Vietnam was 23.11 years of age. When you look at the names on that wall, there's one thing that probably really ought to strike you quickly. And that's the fact that there's lack of rank, there's lack of race, there's lack of age, and there's lack even of national origin. All of these names just placed together. Together they fought, and together they died, some as young as 17, while others of them were seasoned veterans. Some had joined the service only weeks or months prior to their being killed in the war, while others had served their country for decades. Some, this was the first time in a foreign land, others had fought various campaigns around the world, or perhaps even multiple times there in Vietnam. 
Some of these were soldiers with no formal education. Others had university degrees. There are eight women that are listed on that wall of those 58,000 plus eight women. Their names are listed right along and right in line with all of the males. No separation on it. Some of these came from families living in absolute poverty, thinking that maybe if I joined the service, I could, again, improve my life or the life of my family, only to end their life on a foreign land. Others served their country in spite of the fact that their families were so rich that they could have bought them out of being in the service and being in the war. Of these 58,260 that were killed, 50,274 were enlisted men. The only thing that they had in common, really, was that all of them together lost their lives in the conflict. From every aspect, every part of society, every financial status, every race, men and women lost their lives together in this battle. Regardless of what you think about the Vietnam War, the purpose, the reasoning, or even the ending, their names are now engraved on black granite, It's going to last for decades, if not centuries. And I believe that we as a nation look at that and really understand that's a wall of fame. Those have given their lives for freedom. When we look at these things, I want you to understand that today, I want you to look at another list of names. Names of folks, too, that are no longer with us, at least in the physical realm. But yet, their names remain forever engraved in the Scriptures and the roll call of the faithful. My question to you this morning as we look at Romans chapter 16, will your life, your mission, your ministry be listed on the wall of fame or the wall of shame? In chapter 16 of Romans, we have a a long list of names and greetings to these names. And you might think, well, that'll take about 10 minutes. We can blow through that. It's nothing very important. But I want us to pause this morning because these people had great impact on the church of their time. They had great impact on the Apostle Paul. They have great impact on the church for all time. And their names are now listed for you and I 2,000 years now later to look and see, wow, These guys love the Lord. Some of them we don't know hardly anything about. Others of them we have some history. Let's look at it this morning. Romans chapter 16, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Paul writes, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church of Sincaria, that you may receive her in the Lord and in a matter worthy of the saints, and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Phoebe, a sister in the Lord, not not a sister in the flesh. I look around the room, and those of you ladies who are in the Lord, you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You're my sister, and I'm your brother. My wife was my sister long before she was my wife. I started to say before she was my brother. She's never been my brother. She's been my sister long before she was my wife. She was a sister to Paul. And Paul understood that. Paul also states that she was a servant of the church of Sincaria. Interesting, the the word that that Paul uses for servant is the same word that we would later uh, 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 translate or in other areas translate as a, a deacon. But here it's translated as servant. I think primarily because sometimes we have a little trouble thinking that a woman could take the ministry of a deacon. And yet when he lists her particularly as a diacon, Tess Ecclesias, 
he says that she is a deacon of that church. She had a place of responsibility within that church. I think it would be very fair to understand that she was a deaconess who served in that church. But it was more than a title. It was a place of ministry. It was a heart of ministry as she served that local church. And Paul says, I commend her to you. And he speaks of the fact that it's probably that it is Phoebe who is the one who is going to be the carrier of the letter of the book of Romans to the church of Rome. As she's there with Paul in Corinth, as Paul finishes up this letter, he says, I commend to you now, Phoebe. It's interesting to this woman, the responsibility that she has to carry what I believe has become the most important of our New Testament books, because in the book of Romans, it is the greatest understanding of the doctrine of the Christian faith of any one book that we have. Uh, even looking at the Gospels, looking at the book of Revelation, I look at the book of Romans, is if we had to have only one, I would encourage us to man study and to have and to know the book of Romans because of the meat that's there. Well, in verse 2, Paul continues to honor her and her ministry. Uh, she's said to be the helper of many and of myself also. And the word that Paul uses here is translated as helper. Again, speaks more than just as a laborer. It speaks of someone who is influential in a lot of aspects. Bible commentary, Lytle and Scott states this about the word that he uses. That it is one who is a leader or a ruler a front-ranked person, one who exercises authority. Elsewhere, Paul speaks about those who are co-laborers in the gospel, and he uses a different word. But here he uses that word that, again, puts much more of an, uh, uh, an inference and an understanding that Phoebe seemed to have some great influence on the church and in Paul's life also. And to her care, he places the letter to the churches of Rome. In verse 3, we read, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Priscilla and Aquila, a husband and wife team that we find out first of all in the book of Acts chapter 18, where Paul gets to know them. They were tent makers by trade. Paul also having that same trade joined together with Aquila and Priscilla, even lived with them for a while. And together they shared and ministered the gospel of Jesus Christ. Aquila and Priscilla had come, though living at first in Rome, they had moved to Corinth during, again, the persecution of Claudius. While they were in Corinth, ministering the gospel, understanding even deeper the gospel through the teachings of Paul. After Claudius died, they found their way back to Rome now living in Rome, Paul writes to greet them, longtime friends, co-laborers together in Christ. And he also speaks to them to greet the house church that is, or the church that meets in their house. This is just one of several inferences that we see in this passage of Scripture of the house churches. House churches during that time were almost a necessity because of the persecution against Christians was so intense and they weren't able to get a large facility or place to meet. They often would meet in multiple house churches throughout the city. And Aquila and Priscilla had one of those house churches there at their home. Right now, today, you can go to China and you can say to anyone, I want to go to church this Sunday. And they can take you to a church and there will be a multitude of people there. And it will be wide open and able for you to go in. But you're not going to really hear a strong gospel message. You're going to hear a state-approved message. If you really want to go to church in China, they'll take you 
in the middle of the night, traveling down dark alleys, back streets, just one or two people gathering together, going crisscross around town, not in a direct pattern, always looking over their shoulder to see who's following behind them until finally they sneak into a building, raise up maybe two or three or four or five floors until they enter into a room. And in that room that's probably the quarter of the size of this auditorium, they might have 60, 70, 80 Christians crammed into there hungry for the word of God. Because of the greatness of the persecution, they, they have to meet in a clandestine manner so that, again, the authorities won't imprison those who are preaching and those that are receiving the gospel message. Similar to what was going on in Rome during that day, and that's why house churches were everywhere. We don't understand the greatness of the freedoms that we have in Christ right now. Now, back in Rome, they are hosting a house church in their own home. Also in verse 5, Paul says, Greet my beloved Epinetus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Epinetus, probably the first convert to Christianity through Paul's ministry in that area. And now he's over in Rome. And Paul calls him my well-beloved. We don't know a whole lot about this man. Verse 6, he says, Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet to you. The same word could be called embrace Mary, who worked hard for us. This isn't any of the Marys that we know within the Gospels. It's not Mary Magdalene, definitely not uh, Mary, the mother of James and John, definitely not uh, Mary, uh, the, the mother of Jesus. This is another Mary that's over there and says that she has labored or worked hard for us. And the very word that he uses there in speaking of working hard speaks of one who labors to the point of weariness or fatigue. She was so in love with Jesus so in love with his people that she was continually serving the Lord through serving his church. And how we need that heart in the church today. People who love the Lord and love his people so much that they get out of their comfort zones and they serve the Lord in serving his church. Too many times in the church today, people come into church and just say, what do you have for me? What's in it for me? What am I going to receive? Without understanding that the best thing that we can receive as believers is through giving to others and through serving, we receive a much greater reward in our life for eternity, but also a much richer reward even now as we serve others. Mary was one who served the Lord even to the point of weariness and fatigue. In verse 7, he speaks about greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Andronicus and Junia, by most accounts, again, probably a husband and wife team who serve the Lord together. I tell you what, I am so blessed to have a wife who loves the Lord, who loves his church, who loves the people of the Lord, because I guarantee you I would not be as far as I am now had my wife not been the one standing beside me all the way. She's my co-laborer together in Christ. And though I'm the one that stands up front all the time, believe me, she does a whole lot more of the background work than you can imagine. And what a blessing it is to serve the Lord together. And I look at Andronicus and Junia, and Paul calls him my kinsman. Well, this is probably dealing from the fact that though they have Greek names, they probably have Jewish blood in them. I don't believe that it's because they are family members. My version in the New King James says that it's my countrymen. Other versions say kinsmen. It is the idea that they are related because they are probably of Jewish background. 
Very possibly they too had been imprisoned for their faith in Jesus Christ and their commitment to share the gospel. And Paul calls or speaks of them as being of note among the apostles. Now that can be looked at in one of two ways. One way, and the way that many people look at it is, is that the apostles knew who Andronicus and Junia were, and they recognized the hard work and the labor, and they said, oh yeah, we know them. They are good people, and they're doing, and they're serving the Lord. Therefore, they are of note among the apostles. But I believe a more accurate way to bring it into the context of what Paul is speaking and to take into balance all of Scripture, I believe that they themselves had the calling of apostle on their lives. Not in the office of apostle as the twelve were, but in the ministry of apostle that is given. And the definition of the word apostle is simply one that is sent out. And I believe that Andronicus and Junia were sent out by the church for the ministry of the gospel. And they are of note among those who have been sent out. They are what we call today missionaries. They had been sent out to serve the Lord. And the ministry that they were doing, man, it was noteworthy. It was powerful what they were doing. And the results of their ministry were well known. That's why they were noteworthy among the apostles. In verse 8, we read, Greet Amplius. My beloved in the Lord. Again, it's a very dear greeting to one that we don't know anything about. And yet Paul knows him, and apparently the church of Rome knows him. In verse 9, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachius, my beloved. It's interesting, these two men listed right at the same time. But yet I believe that we can look critically at a real difference there. Urbanus, my co-laborer in Christ. Urbanus was a very, very common name in the uh, servant or the uh, lower class people. Urbanus was a name of a, a lower class individual. But Strachius is the name, a Greek name, speaking of high importance. And in that culture, those that were high and influential, those families that had, again, much wealth or influence in the community, there were certain names that they would name their children to, again, to speak of their influence and their place. They wouldn't just name their child Billy Bob. You know, uh, Billy Bob, no, that's for the lower class. Well, Urbanus is kind of like that kind of name. And if your name is Billy Bob today, don't take any offense. I'm talking about that culture, okay? I can get myself in so much trouble so quick. Let's move on. Verse 10. Greet Apollos, approved in Christ. And again, Apollos, we we don't know a whole lot about him, but it's interesting that Paul says that he is approved in Christ. And that word approved means that he is tested and proved or found faithful. It's interesting. Why would he say that about Apollos? I, I kind of wonder, and it's a great speculation on my part, but I'm wondering if maybe he's one of those kind of guys that had a real shady past and yet came to Christ and the church was kind of leery to receive such a one because of the shadiness of his past. Can he really be born again? Can his life really change? Yes, he's been approved by Christ. He's been tested and found faithful. And some of you here this morning, maybe you've had a shady past, and maybe when you came to Christ, you weren't really well received at first. You had to be tested. You had to be tried and shown and proved faithful to the Lord. Paul knew exactly what that was about because the church didn't receive Paul at first. He had to be tested and tried. But Paul says, you know what? Don't forget, Apollos, he is approved by Christ. So you know what? You guys need to approve him also. You need to receive this brother into your fellowship. In the same verse, verse 10, he says, Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Aristobulus, again, 
commentators say is very likely the grandson of Herod the Great. Apparently there were members of his household that were believers. It's interesting that um, whether it be family members or servants, the greeting is to those who are of the household of Aristopolis, but not to Aristopolis himself. So I wonder if Aristopolis, in, again, the influence and the stature that he had in the community, was not a believer, never received Christ, but yet he had family members or servants who were believers, who were serving the Lord. He's not the only one. We'll see another one here in just a moment. Verse 11, greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word, the teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to The Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest messages from Pastor David. To subscribe, log on to TheOpenWord.com, click on the podcast option on the homepage, or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, please let us know the call letters of the station you heard The Open Word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you.